0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of relative pitch. um I believe this is gonna be our last episode of this part of our season, and we are so happy for our final guest of like half season to be Mike liveias. I will have to say, hold on, hold on, bro, it's Mike'. It's <laughs> First of all, OK, uh, so Mike is a doctoral student at UT Austin, getting his GMA and conducting um, and been a friend of mine for for quite a long time. And we're just happy to have him here. So, Mike, first of all, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right. Uh, finally getting settled at the end of football season. We just got back from you know, the Big 12 championship last night. Uh, finished all the projects, all the concerts. And so, you know, I'm just kind of coasting right now, which is, which is a great feeling.
0: Um, I think something that we don't, uh, talk about often is that gra- in grad school, especially in the wind band sector of life, how football takes it out of you, like your whole semester from like July until sometimes January is like, oh my gosh, can we just survive this? Like mm-hmm. how is surviving for you? Right. Surviving
1: is it's a little hard because it's it's we don't really know what to expect with the football season. I mean, today is, you know, selection Sunday. So there's talk about Texas being in the playoff and and there's all that. I mean, we just won the championship. And for the longest time, we were like, OK, we're probably not going to be in the playoff. But now it's a real possibility. So it's hard to, uh, you know, plan things especially when there's a lot of question marks in the you know December season. So you know I mean I think a lot of us in grad school in the wing conducting sector that have you know marching band uh, involvement, it's hard to plan December, especially with trying to go home go to Midwest uh, and then go and do a bowl game it's 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 a lot of variables that we just have to look out for. So surviving is tough but I just kind of have to take it day to day. absolutely.
2: Yeah, that was really interesting because I think something that we've been talking about a lot with people is like balance and this idea that balance is not a, you know, a state. It's like you're just constantly trying to refine what that balance is. And I think grad students specifically just know how to or we try, shall I say, we we attempt to do this. Um, as best as we can, because not only are you, act you, you are students yourself still, right, in a certain capacity, but then also, you're a TA, you're some people, they look at you, and they see their professor, they see the person who they have to go to, who they, who they are dependent on, um, and then you are a human being with, like, a life, you know, and then you, like, maybe sometimes even work outside of what your TA duties are, um, you sleep at some point, I think, you know, so, like, I mean, for you, when you, Began your graduate school journey. What was it like to step into this other world of like trying to find that balance?
1: Yeah, uh, and even I, I couldn't even speak upon when I first entered the profession as a high school band director. I mean, it was tough to balance because I was the only music teacher at my school, um, and so I was doing two bands, a jazz band. Uh, I was also the orchestra teacher. I was also teaching a couple of non um, like. I guess non-ensemble classes like piano and and, and theory and stuff like that. But uh, it's, it's hard to find balance when you first start out because you really have to prioritize your time. I mean, uh, and also, I mean, I think in a lot of that, a lot of us lose sense of, of who we are and what makes us us, because we're so attached to work because it's, it's like, if I don't, if I don't do this, then who will. Uh, and so a lot of my younger years uh, were spent talking to people about, you know, about balance. And it's like uh, the biggest piece of advice I, that I ever got was work is going to be there when you get there tomorrow, you know, and you have to like set a boundary. And it's so it's so hard for young teachers and just teachers, especially in the music field in general, to to let you know work bleed into their personal life because it's who they are you know this profession that we're in was born out of passion we're not doing it for any kind of paycheck we're doing it because we love to do it you know that's whether you're a performer or an educator or or whatever in the music field you're doing it because you have a passion for it and it's hard to separate those two especially when it comes to your personal life so for me I had to find some things. And this is actually a topic uh, that when Anthony and I first met at the UT conducting workshop in, in 21, Kevin Cetatol was the guest and he brought this topic about, you know, who are mus- your taste makers and what's your thing outside of music. Um, and that, that was a question that I struggled with at the start because it's like, well, I, I really love music and I love doing that, but I have to find something that, you know, is outside of that. I need to have a core group of friends that are outside of that. So I don't talk about work and talk shop all the time. And so for me, that became, especially when I moved to Austin, um, I started to join a powerlifting community. And so I go to this gym here called Game Day Warbell, where I met my coach. I met a lot of my friends here. And while I'm there, I mean, what they think... They think what I do is pretty cool, um, but they have like no idea of it. So I'll talk about it a little bit when they ask me, but for the most part, I'm at the gym, I'm social, I'm working out. Um, and I enjoy lifting and that's my thing outside of music. So, uh, and most recently it's also become video production and, and content creation and that Avenue has like changed the way that I think about a lot of things. And so, you know, my thing outside of music, even though it's tangentially related, cause I'm doing a lot of content creation for UT for myself, um, it's become this hobby that is like almost parallel to what I do because it's still a form of creative, um, a creative process for me to create videos. Um, it's, it's something that I can see that's tangible. Um, and and I can be proud of that work.
0: Mm -hmm. I I love how you have found your, balance quote-unquote um of life through something um i know we've talked about on the on the podcast because i think everybody's different but i i really kind of resonate with you where um, i remember being an undergrad how like i needed friends not in music like these two know i was like okay y'all i gotta go like um so i <laughs> While you, you know, worked out in the gym, I worked at the gym. So like all of my gym friends cared nothing about music. Like they thought it was nice, but it wasn't like, oh, wow, you know how to do this. You know how to do this. And it's like, wow, I'm just a normal person. And I think when it comes to music, we get, as you said, so tied into our passion that becomes our identity. Um, Can you talk about the identity and I guess... um, just tearing your part, yourself apart from you as the musician to who is Mike as the person, and what has that journey been for you?
1: Yeah, uh, me as a person. So growing up, uh, I I was born in Toronto, Canada, and then I'm I moved down to Florida when I was around five years old, and so I was, I was an immigrant student, um, and I didn't really join any kind of music things until you know seventh grade. I think is when I joined band. Uh, and that's really where I found my calling because I really wanted to play percussion and I didn't end up playing percussion, but I found a lot of my friends in my like found family there. And so growing up, I didn't have a whole lot of, uh, Asian friends because a lot of people that were in band were, you know, of different ethnicities. And so something that I've had to kind of adjust to recently is leaning into my identity as like a, as a. Both my parents are Filipino, so I'm Filipino, but I was born in Canada. So there's a lot of like, like, uh, what's it, uh, social and social backgrounds and ethnic background things that I've had to kind of adjust with and figure out who I am really, you know, because I didn't feel like I fit in with the asian crowd when i was growing up in high school and so i just hung out with the band folks which were you know mostly white i uh, had a couple of african-american friends and a couple of asian friends that were also in the program but it was tough to find a cultural identity growing up and that's something that i've really had to lean into now because it's it, it is who i am you know I, I have an experience growing up with two filipino parents and that's something that i want to continue to develop you know and and lean into mm-hmm. That is part of who i am and it's it's interesting that you asked about you know can you separate yourself as a musician as and separate separate your identity as a musician and you i don't know if that's entirely possible because my musicianship is informed by who i am you know and and my my grown experience informs my musicianship and how i think about music and how i prepare scores um and how i interpret music so i think i think it's just really important to have an idea of who you are. And even if even if you're not quite where you want to be professionally, musically, whatever, as long as you have an idea of where you want to go, I think that's the most important part. So to me, it was just figuring out that map, you know, of, of where I am culturally, who I am in terms of my identity culturally, who I am musically, what I like and what I don't like. And how is that going to help better serve me going to where I want to go professionally?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It was funny because right before um, everyone else got here, me and Anthony were just having a moment of like, how are you checking in? And Mm -hmm. we were talking about, I was speaking specifically about how my students this week, it feels like everyone's really... Has been super anxious and like it's coming up in that part of the quarter where, um, you know, like recitals are happening and all those things. And I remember being an undergrad and like those like s- smaller things were if you put so much of your worth into it, right? And you're so nervous about oh my gosh, like if I if I fail this, like I fail. And so I think what whenever I heard Anthony talk about that separation, more of what I was hearing. And more what I've been trying to do with myself as well as my students is like, yes, you are a musician and you like this, this is something you're passionate about, right? But also here is you as a person and your worth is not tied to like whether or not you like fail a jury whether or not you are like you feel like you did the best on a recital even though it feels that way and it's really hard societally not to feel that way especially because you especially on social media right like you get all these like amazing like likes and loves and comments whenever you do something excellent so it really does feel like it can be tied with your self-worth but it's like your self-worth is just who you are as a person, like who you are, not what you do. It's who you are, how you treat people, all these other things. So I think that is where the separation that I try to think about when it comes to like identity of who I am just as being Lauren versus like Lauren, who is, you know, a artist, administrator, whatever, all those things, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, 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 I, I understand what you mean. Uh, yeah, when it comes to my core values, I mean, there's a lot of those things, Uh, that you mentioned that is something that I'm continually trying to develop, you know, how I interact with people is something that's constantly on my brain, you know, as a, as a conductor, as a teacher, uh, how do, how do I interact with people? What are the kind of relationships that I'm building with people, especially around me? And what kind of teacher do I want to be? I mean, these are all things that I've struggled with over time, but also have been conscious about to think about and improve upon. I mean, I think, I think we all um, can, can attest to we've been in a place where like man I'm really not doing so well in this one aspect of my life uh and and how I respond to that has always been okay well if I just sit here and sulk about it and then I don't think it's going to get any better you know I what are the next steps and that's that's always been a thing for me is like if I ever make a mistake in my life or if there's something that I wasn't too proud of then what what is the next step for me in that area you know how do I prove myself um from that point uh onto something that I can be proud of something that I can feel like I yeah I I feel like I've improved in this area so I guess resiliency and like being adaptive to you know whatever life throws at you is a really important skill um and being flexible I mean there's there's a lot of times that in my younger years especially where something would be thrown at me and I would I would be some adversity would be thrown at me I should say and and I would Freak out a little bit just because I didn't know how to proceed. I didn't know what to do after that point, mm-hmm. and I think I still do that. Except the time that I do that is much less. You know, it's more compact. You know, I take the I take a step and I realize, okay, if I freak about freak out about this m- for more than five minutes, then it's becoming unproductive. So it's okay. I think it's okay to freak out. Is the bottom line of the story, but it's it's also you know a matter of how do I adjust with this in new information? You know, I, there's, you can only control what you can control, you know, you can't control anything yeah. else. So with that in mind, how do I proceed from here? What are the steps that I can take to help my situation? And so it's just a, it's really just a thing of, about self-awareness. You know, that's a skill that is learned and it's not like inherently given it's something that you need to continually work on is being aware of where you are and where you want to go
3: yes 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 um i want to piggyback off of what you just said and what lauren said um getting closer to jury time you can always tell the vibe in the uh, building it's like i walked in the other day and i had my starbucks i was ready to teach some lessons and then everybody's just like stressed. i'm like y'all what's going on like (laughs) why y'all stressed? and they're like we have juries i'm like y'all i'll be real honest with you if you crack that note oh well I said, and I told them all my fear, my uh, going into juries. I would always crack a note in the first phrase. I'm like, well, it ain't perfect no more. So mm-hmm. who cares? And, um, but uh, one thing that I struggle with as a teacher and my students is like, they all have these great aspirations, as we all do. But a lot of them don't know how to plan out how to get there. And then when we get to the point of the cooking of the semester and they're like, I just feel like I'm underprepared and all this other stuff. I'm like, okay, great. Let's look at you. What you doing during the week. Let me see your screen time on your iPhone. Mm -hmm. Let me see what you're doing on that. And I'm like, I'll show you my screen time, baby. I'm on Netflix, Hulu, Bravo, like especially Bravo recently. But I'm like, you got to know if your aspirations are here, but you spending all this time on TikTok, Mm -hmm. It ain't going to meet in the middle. And also just understanding that, like, everything's not going to get done in one day. We're not in a pressure cooker. It's more like a crock pot. Mm -hmm. Like We're going to sit for half the day. We're going to marinate. We're going to build some juices. But, yeah, this time of the year is always stressful. And then, like, I'm one of those people who hates the words Bantober and Gigmas. (laughs) Because I'm like, why are we eliminating these months to these things? But honestly, y'all. Gigmas is kicking my butt <laughs> and we just entered it.
0: <laughs> what are you about to say, Michael, you were literally playing in a, in a symphony orchestra just yesterday. Um, and today. And I'm in a Costco parking lot because I didn't make it there on time. Cause I left late, left late as hell. So boom, Gigmas is a thing and Mantober <laughs> is a thing. Um, but Mike, I want to go back to something that you were talking about, about the reaction time between the like freaking out. Um, I think, that is truly a normal human response, and I think growth. The growth is um, that tells you how much growth you have, depending on the reaction time. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was like 19 years old in undergrad, uh, my reaction time was longer. It was like I gotta freak out, and I'm gonna freak out for about three hours. Mm-hmm. Then I'm good. Then I hit 21, and I'm like, okay, we're you know we're first year. Or a senior year of undergrad and it's like, OK, my reaction time is now an hour and a half. You get your first teaching job and your reaction <laughs> time is back to six hours because you're like, what in the hell just happened in this whole day of teaching? Like, I need to have a response time. But as you go through time, that is going to uh, diminish from time to time. And the more experience you have, the more easier it becomes for you to react quicker and for you to get it out of your slump. And another thing that I think is very important is to, to surround yourself with people around you who will say, hey, let's have a check-in. Like Lauren was just mentioning, we were checking in with each other before we got on the call today. Have you, um, how was that uh, with you? Do you have people that you check in with and that you're like, okay, you know are you good am i good let's just talk with each other
1: mm-hmm. yeah definitely this having a support system i think is is crucial uh and i've been lucky here at ut to to have a, a like a cohort around me especially when i started um <clears throat> when i started my uh my doctorate degree here you know i i entered with two of my best friends uh who be- eventually became my best friends you know um uh Sorry, Texas just got named number three in the college football playoff. So, but yeah, the phone's freaking out right now. Okay. Anyway, uh, but two of my best friends here, Drew Erie and Weston Lewis, you know, we still have a group chat with each other. And then added to that, you know, Drew Dickey was also part of that uh, cohort until he became faculty. And we still talk, obviously. Um, and I hold those people pretty dear and close to my heart because uh, th- there was a, this is a side story, but there was a graduate seminar last year uh, where we brought in Vijay Gupta, who works in um, like LA with a lot of you know outreach uh, for homeless and uh, I guess non. What's what's the term for that homeless? There's like an uh,
3: without home. Unsheltered,
1: yeah. Without home, yep. Uh, uh, unsheltered folks um, and and a lot of music outreach. Uh, and uh, he had he had this concept, and he was talking to us about having mirrors around us um, people that will tell you they're like unfettered opinion, knowing that it may hurt your feelings, but that's what you need to hear, you know, and for him, that's his wife. And for me, you know, those are the people that I look to and ask, you know, okay, honestly, is this something that I should be doing? Or, and those are the people that i vent to, you know, my roommate Reese Maltzby, who's also here at UT, you know, I talk to him a lot about when things are going up and down. Um, and then I have a couple of people that I call from, you know, other Points of my life. You know, one of my best friends uh teaches in Lubbock right now. His name is Joe Galvin, somebody I call on the regular, you know, just to see how he's doing, but also to tell him, you know, what's up with my life, just because, you know, that's my little brother in fraternity. And so we we've held that bond since, you know, two, 2012. Um, and so we've we've talked just throughout all aspects of life. So I think um having those people is just really, really important, uh, so that you have A to get all these thoughts. Outside of your head, and be uh, to to let so people can empathize with you. I think being empathetic is also a skill, and just being heard, and feeling feeling like you're being heard, is also super important.
2: I think that's so important because, and these two will like they know they they, they knew undergrad Lauren right. <laughs> undergrad Lauren was a very different Lauren. Uh, well, kind of, but undergrad Lauren was like, I want to talk about this topic. For the third time this week thank you for coming and i would and it's because maybe within the two days that we last talked about it there was something else that popped up that i'm like i want to hear what you think about with this perspective and et cetera et cetera and i definitely used to do the thing and sometimes i still do the thing where i'm like well i already talked about it so i don't want to bring it up again but like the thing about it is anytime a friend of mine has come to me and is like can i like talk to you or ask you about this i don't care What the topic is, I don't care how many times we've talked about it. If there's a a reason why you really want to bring this topic up again, there's something there that we still can find together. And it may not be like we were all – something else me and Anthony were talking about is it may also not be that you're necessarily looking for a solution in that moment. It may be like you're feeling some things and you're like – the idea of like getting it off of you, getting it out of you, and Mm -hmm. just having a moment of like – oh my gosh, I feel like I just got that off my chest and it kind of cleared things away. And then maybe having that clarity from talking about it, maybe that third time was, or the fourth (laughs) time was the thing you needed for it to really clear things away for then like a week later, you're like, oh my God, I figured something out or something has come that wasn't there before. But having people there who you trust to be there for you and to listen to you, even if like, again, you're not looking for something specific, but you do have to find those people because they're going to be more helpful than you can even imagine. Mm
3: -hmm. Correct. I know um, leading into Thanksgiving, my last assignment I gave all my kiddos at the university was I was like, during Thanksgiving week. Practice what you need to practice, whatever. But I need you to send three messages to three people in your village and tell them how thankful you are and how thankful you are for you, their support. They could be a colleague. They could be a parent. They could be some one of your former teachers. And I was like, you need a, a knowledge that you have support going into after Thanksgiving when all this other stuff happens.
1: So, yes. Absolutely. And, and th- that group of people will... I guess, increase over time. I mean, I still talk to people that I were was in uh, like undergrad with and we entered the profession together, you know, two 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 more of my also best friends, you know, Trevor Butts and Logan Story. You know, I did my master's degree with them at USF uh, and we've all entered DMA programs. Trevor's now, uh, you know, in the profession. And and so we also still have a group chat. So it's like these these people <clears throat> will continue to just be in your lives. Uh, and they are people that you can use as resources, but also as as venting sources. You know, if you just need to just say something, then it that also provides you an avenue to get some clarity. I mean, I, there's always that, you know, I always think about this whenever you have like a heated argument with somebody. And like afterwards, you're like, man, I should have said this, I should have said this, I should have said this, you know, well, just getting something out there in the world will make you think about it differently, I think. And then that's just important. And that can come through, you know, having an argument with somebody that's really passionate or it could just be through venting. And, you know, you'll you'll say something out loud and it'll make you think about it differently. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it's so important um, to just. Get it out because if if you let it stay inside of you whatever you're feeling it's going to fester and then it's going to eventually change to something that's dangerous for you um so it's just i don't know i think it's beneficial as well for all of that to come out and for you to have a good group of people whether they're they're your best friend from middle school or college or or honestly a person you might have found at the gym who is now like a great person like i think for me, I have people that I'm like, okay, I'm feeling this. Here's a person that I can talk to for this. And they will give me some type of mindset for it. And, and like Lauren said, sometimes you just need to say it out loud. And then you come up with your own um, your own answers to the question. You're like, oh, okay, it wasn't <laughs> that bad. Maybe now, now I can go back and do something else. Um, but uh, Mike, something that I totally forgot. Can you... Just tell everyone, how did you get to where you are? Like you said, you're from Toronto, born and raised Toronto, and then you moved down to Tampa.
1: Um, And so from there, how did you get to where you are today? Sure. Uh, So I was born in Toronto, Canada. I moved to St. Petersburg, Florida when I was five years old. My mom found a job uh, at a hospital down there. She's a nurse. And then I grew up most of my schooling it was in the Tampa Bay area. So, and that continued throughout my undergrad degree. So, I went to the University of South Florida. I uh, spent there five years in my undergrad and then four years in the Tampa Bay area, which was like right down the road from USF at Hillsborough High School for four years. I taught band, orchestra, and all the things that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and then 2019, uh, fall 2019, is when I started my master's degree. I wanted to, I took a couple of grad auditions. And I had met Dr. Markus uh, who just got hired at USF as the new Marching Band Director and the uh, Symphonic Band Director. Uh, I met him because I was the All County Band Coordinator for nine twelve or nine ten that year, and I asked. He was new, so I was like, "Okay, well, come and work the All County Band." Um, and he did, and he was just, you know, incredible. Still an inspiration to this day, which he now works at UT. So that's funny, but, um, but. I met him and I saw him work and I was like, "Ah, I really want to, you know, study with this guy. And normally I wouldn't go back to the place that I, you know, that I went and did my undergrad because a lot of it was the same, but it came from a different perspective. Uh, Like I I had four years of teaching under my belt and I wasn't the same person that I was when I was in my undergrad. So I had different perspective learning about, you know, conducting, learning about score study and all those things. And so when I was getting my master's degree, uh, I had a new person to learn from and also two people. Uh, Matt McCutcheon and Bill Weedrick, who are also my conducting teachers, um, I had a different perspective from the things that they were telling me. Um, So halfway through that, COVID happened. Um, It's still happening, but uh, throughout my second year, I didn't really know what I wanted to do after my master's degree, and you know, the DMA wasn't really in the cards. I didn't know if I wanted to go straight through, if I wanted to go teach high school band. And that's kind of when everybody was really defeated about the profession. And, you know, people were kind of leaving in droves just because of, you know, all these different sanctions and health and, you know, aerosol studies and all that stuff. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I I was really drawn towards, I guess, uh, like service band conducting. And so I sent some applications in um, and I didn't really know what was gonna happen, to be honest. And so I sent in one DMA application and that was to UT. And I didn't hear anything back until late in the spring. Um, It said that I was accepted, but I was on a wait list. And I was like, cool, that's fine. It's probably not gonna work out this year, but um, it'll be okay. And so I ended up taking a college audition um, for like an assistant athletic band director job. And in the middle of that week during interviews, uh, I got an email from from Profes- Professor Junkin and asked if we could Zoom, and he offered me the assistantship uh, on the spot. So that was kind of how I ended up here at UT, and, you know, the rest is kind of history. But <clears throat> but in my time here, I mean, I've been able to, to meet so many great people, work with so many incredible musicians um, and composers, guest composers, guest artists. So it's been great. It's been an incredible experience, I think.
0: I love how life happens. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, we we've talked about having a plan, but let the plan uh, be something that can be movable as well. Um, And the way things just kind of roll, roll and you just have to be with it. The train is moving. Get on the train and just go through life Um, Mm -hmm. and and look how it is kind of just transform and, and the growth with you. Um, of like here you are all the things that you have accomplished just OMG you know I'm sure if you were to write a letter to your five-year-ago self like look at what we've done look at what we've accomplished in those last five years I'm sure um, that version of you like no way no way and that's I just that's for all of us it's like our however many years ago self would be like there's no way in the world we would have accomplished those things or would be in the place that we are today. So we just have to go wherever life takes us. And I think that's very beautiful. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to know how did out of all of that uh, and all the stuff that you have to do as a grad student, how did bro, it's
1: in
0: above all of that.
1: Okay. So, uh, the social media thing, I think, happened not on accident. I mean, when I when I was, you know, hanging out in pandemic time, I would scroll for hours uh, on TikTok. And I just thought that stuff was funny. Um, and when I entered my doctorate degree, I thought to myself, well, what if I just, you know, documented this process? And that didn't really come until spring semester I mean I think I, I was hanging out in Florida during winter break my first year so I had finished the fall semester and I was hanging out in Florida and I, I think I decided to make a TikTok or something like that um, and there's just small conducting content and it was like it was small skits that were like less than 30 seconds and then it just kind of evolved I'd started going to more conducting workshops and I had posted some tape from from a workshop that I did that um, that spring, and that got a couple of hits. You know, that, that was like my first, it wasn't necessarily viral, but it got a lot of traction. <clears throat> and then I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll start posting some rehearsal videos since I have to, you know, record myself anyway to get better at this. And I'll post segments that I'm particularly proud of. I didn't say anything about it, I didn't say that I was going to do it. I just started doing it. Um, and then I eventually gained a little bit of a, a following, and then I didn't hit 10K followers on TikTok until. December of last year yeah like a literally a year ago I hit 10k right before Midwest or right after Midwest with the Reynolds stuff um it didn't really blow up blow up until the following spring so like spring of this past year I decided because 10k on TikTok I was like okay well I think I I could like invest a little bit more into this and so I bought a mirrorless camera I like studied <laughs> studied uh, content creation. I like looked up how to how to make all that stuff and and figured out you know what content I liked and how I wanted my content to look. Um, and so I started getting into video editing. And so when I started to do that, my content and my following just kind of blew up from there. I mean, I went from less than two thousand followers on Instagram, and today I'm sitting at forty eight. I think forty eight thousand uh, on TikTok. I was uh, like I said, I had ten k uh, followers in December of 22 today, I'm standing at like 61 K on, on TikTok, And like, I, I don't do this for fame. I'm not trying to like, you know, be an influencer. I'm not trying to, you know, promote products. I literally just wanted to post little segments of rehearsal that I thought were interesting that I thought, um, uh, you know, were really effective in terms of teaching in terms of, you know, comments and in terms of gesture, um, I've gotten a little bit of money, but nothing, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like rich, <laughs> you know, I just have, I just have people that recognize me at conference people that recognize me at football games and that's about it, you know, I, and I don't do it for that. It's not the validation I'm looking for. You know, most of my validation comes from my teachers and the people around me, my mirrors, as I've said before. Um, and so I enjoy making content and I enjoy, you know, posting and video editing. So it's like, it, it just kind of turned turn into this thing that is kind of bigger than myself now. So
0: mm. um, it's just, I think some people will, when we see video editing, I love how video editing editing is like your escape, but it's, mm. as you said, parallel um, because, you know, people think that when we see social media influencer, they're like, oh my gosh. They're doing this and they're just doing this for some type of monetary value or, or, you know, fame or something like that. But talking with you, it's really is like your escape from how demanding um, being in this profession can be. And it's one of your ways to, you know, do that. And I mean, video editing is not easy. I'm just going to tell you right now, like more power to you because it ain't for me. Like, I Mm -hmm. No, I think we all will say maybe Lauren, maybe Lauren might like video editing, but you know, <laughs> it's, mm-mm. I'm like my head it's is for the birds, it really, for the birds. My head is spinning. I don't know why. Now I need to go drink a sip of Hennessy or something afterwards because this is just mm, it's not. But that journey of video editing, did you like that? Um, like
1: growing up, or was this something also new that came out of COVID? Uh, a little bit. I, I dabbled with it a little bit. Um, I learned like the basics of iMovie, you know, when I had to start editing footage for my own conducting portfolio, but I think I really got into it because of powerlifting, to be honest. And that's, that's something that kind of got out of my, you know, my gym friends because my, my powerlifting coach is like a powerlifting influencer And so he's got a community himself. He's got like, you know, people that are signed up to a discord. And so he was coaching me on a lot of these things on like, on how to use certain programs and like what looks good and cameras specifically, like camera talk is crazy. I was not into cameras at all before this. Um, And I would just record all my lifting videos through my phone. Um, But now I spent, you know, the entire summer recording all my lifts, you know, with with an actual mirrorless camera and then editing them in a software. So it's like I got so much practice before uh, the start of the school year that it kind of helped me out to create all this stuff for UT. I mean, all this, all the UTexus band stuff, all the Longhorn band stuff, you know, I learned all those video techniques through TikTok and YouTube mostly, but that the genesis of all that came from powerlifting, came from my, my, my powerlifting coach.
0: Uh, so, you know, we'll, for the future, because I, I mean, first of all, everybody that's listening, um, let's just say a congratulations to Mike, because he is approaching his last semester at UT. So will you be taking all this knowledge to whatever's next in your life?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think <laughs> I get asked this question a lot recently. It's so what's next? What are you going to do? What, what's what's after the DMA? uh and I, don't, I don't really know to be honest i i think and i've point. said i've said this i've said this a lot um wherever i can find a job that that allows me to do what i love to do which is collaborate with wonderful people and musicians make great music still but also i'm still able to create content because that's that's become part of my life you know whether i like it or not it's become part of my life um uh, something that will allow me to do all three of those things and still be happy. I think I'm okay. Whatever that job may look like. Um, but I, I I need to fill those three requirements, you know, and, and, and I, I'm sure I can find that in a lot of places, but, but I do think that um, content creation is kind of the way to the go. I mean, this is a project that um, has evolved in, in some sort of sorts, you know, in the, in the previous generation of wind band with Frederick Fresnel he was really big on getting recordings um, of like CD recordings of wind band repertoire. You know, the first couple Eastman wind ensemble CDs were on like the Mercury label and they were successful they were resourced for a lot of high school band directors in the country because they didn't know how these things should have sounded. So I think nowadays with the way that we consume media, I think social media people, some people still have this like negative, um, view on it. It's like, oh, people are only doing it for likes and comments. And Well, it's also a way for us um, A, as conductors, and B as musicians, and C, as you know, from the collegiate standpoint, it's, it's a way to get what you're doing out there you know, and help inspire. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten messages from people about, hey, I use this thing that you used in your video, that you said in your video, and it worked in my classroom. Thank you for doing that, you know? And that that becomes more validation for me, you know, to continue to do this. And it's just, these are just little snippets of my own rehearsal that, you know, I, I put out on the internet that I think are fine. And it's all curated, obviously. I don't just put whatever out there. And the second thing I'll say about this is, uh, you know what i put on the internet with the with the ensemble stuff isn't always polished you know with the in terms of the ensemble in terms of the music and i i prefer that i prefer the rehearsal process being out there because every single pd session that i've ever been to has been it's about the process people it's not about the product it's about the process well every single video i see is like highly curated highly edited and it's like it's not authentic to me and so i think putting the process out there and how did you get it to sound like this eventually? How did you get them to, you know, I think those things. And and, and this is the approach that I take to UT as well. Uh, whenever we post ensemble videos from the wind ensemble, you know, some people might go onto those videos and be like, oh, that's kind of out of tune. We've gotten those comments. It's just hilarious to me. Um, and it's like, oh, I, I wish he would say something about the intonation. Well, I edited the video. Of course he says something about the inf- int- int- intonation. But that's not the point of the video. You know, and so I think being more vulnerable as a musician, as a video editor, as a, as whatever is, is the key to, you know, gaining a little bit of an audience because it kind of humanizes the product. You know, it's not, it's not, oh, UT, UT has a great win ensemble. We do, but it's not, it doesn't always sound like that, you know, it, it, there, there are times where we don't sound so great. And I think like having that on the internet with comparison to the, the performance, it, it, like I said, humanizes it and says, okay, this is attainable. This is what they were able to get within a rehearsal process. And I think people, you know, especially in today's, you know, society of fast paced social media, like likes and comments and whatever, they want to get to the end product immediately. And that's just not how that works. So I think being able to show an arc on social media, because I I was doing, we do two week concert cycles, right? And so six rehearsals, I'll post a rehearsal video from day one and it sounds Not so great. I mean, it still sounds okay, but not great. And then I'll post a video from the very end, like the dress rehearsal. And i all sometimes I'll get a comment that says, wow, the progression from day one to, you know, this last day was crazy, crazy good. But like, of course that's what it's like, you know? So I think being able to tell our stories as, as wind band conductors and composers and, and all those other things uh, is important, and we we want to do that through social media, and that's the approach that we've been taking here at UT for all the short form content that we're posting on Instagram and TikTok, um, because. And here's another. Sorry, I'm like on this on this like soapbox. Uh, in your musicology books, the only paragraph about wind band is like, here's John Philip Sousa, and here's what he did, but that's not the whole story. You know, there's so much comprehensive history and you know albeit it's a very short history because we didn't really become a true thing um, of bands and the school band movement and all that other stuff didn't happen until you know 1900 plus I mean there were wind ensembles you know harmony music and etc before all that but nobody really talks about the development of the wind band which is a huge uh, travesty to me because this is a huge you know cultural thing in the United States. You know, how many people go through band in their lives and have gone through band, have their students go, have their, you know, their children go through band. And there's one non, you know, service band professionally that a lot of people know, and that's the Dallas Wings. Why is that? You know, there there could be so many more throughout the country because there's not like there's a shortage of players and it's not like people don't know what band is. So it's like, (laughs) you know. How do we we bridge that gap between the wind band and the audience? And the potential is there. And I think the potential is there. And I know that because of the following that I've been able to gather. And, you know, people interact with marching band videos all the time. People interact with, you know, anytime we post anything about the first Sweet and E flat, it's like a shared experience for any bank in America because they've played it. You know, Um, I posted a Dallas Winds video two weeks back on... There must have been more more than that at this point. But like the first Sweet Knee Flat video has like over 200,000 views just because people know that piece of music. Well, why can't that be the case for, you know, Come Sunday or, you know, all these other new pieces of music that that are out there? Because the wind band medium is continually evolving and, you know, who's there to tell the stories? Mm -hmm. And that's how that's that's how we can use social media for, you know, for validation a little bit on the art form.
3: I
2: appreciate that. um, Because we, we talk, we've talked a lot about social media in very different capacities on the on this platform ourselves. And we have a love hate, I will say I think relationship um, with it. And the way me, Michael and Anthony specifically all use our platforms are very different, (laughs) very, very different the way we use our platforms. And I was just talking to one of my friends the other day about because they don't really like socials, but they really want to connect with more people and network with more people and unfortunately, or maybe not unfortunately, but it is just true that social media is a very primary source of networking that we have offered to us, especially in this day and age. And so a lot of, I agree, a lot of connections that I've gotten to is because I'll post something or I'll say something and someone will DM me and say, oh my gosh, this is really cool. Can we talk about this? Or can I ask you about this? Or like, this really helped me. And so I see it also as a tool and a resource, not only as the person who's posting, but also as a consumer, because there's so many things I see that I, I get inspiration from, from people all over the country, all over the world. And I agree that there is also that affirmation of, it feels good, right? When you post something, whether or not it's an achievement, or you just went out and had like brunch with people and you Took very cute photos and just having friends like, oh my gosh, this looks like it was a fun time, or congratulations, I'm so proud of you. That, yes, mm-hmm. that, that is a form of affirmation. And it's not, it's different maybe than someone coming up to you in, in public and saying it, but it's still some type of validation within that. I think the biggest thing that I always just tell people is to constantly ask yourself why. Like, when you are not only consuming, but when you are, you know, posting and generating that content, always checking in and make sure that you're doing it because you you want to do it and you want to do it for very specific reasons. Because you could, people use their platforms and they're like, I do want to gain money. I do want that. <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right. Be, say it with your chest. You know what oh, I mean? Thanks. I think the biggest thing is like, don't, don't like, try to make it something like this whole oh like this i really want to use this for connection and all these things when you're not like it's fine if it's not that there's a time and a place you know for all of those things so i would just say you know to anyone who you know is if you're thinking if you're listening to this and you're like oh maybe i should you know do this or maybe i'm interested in looking at other platforms who do this in a way go go look at platforms who you really think that are doing those things very genuinely of whatever you're interested in, whether it's cooking, powerlifting, music, whatever it is, um, and try to see what about what they're doing makes you feel connected genuinely, right? Because I there's some influencers and content creators who I'm kind of like, I don't really feel a connection. It's like, oh, thanks for, you know, this food recommendation. (laughs) You know, there's (laughs) others who I'm like, I really feel like she went there for me. And she like tried that and she's talking to me in a way that I feel connected with. And like, yeah, so I don't, I think what we've also been talking about, this idea of just black and white is just not true. We exist major. I think it was Anthony who talked about, we exist mainly in the gray. Right. And there's a spectrum. We exist on a spectrum most of the time. And so therefore, Mm -hmm. some things may not necessarily just be good just because they feel good. There was was an astrologer, I think, who said something the other week about this that I was like, oh, I'm eating this. She was like, just because something feels good doesn't mean it is good. And just because something feels bad doesn't mean it's bad. And I think what she was trying to say by that is like emotions and feelings come and go and they're good, right? They're good for you to just be like, okay, I'm feeling this and to acknowledge that they're there for you to like say, okay, right? This is happening. But it doesn't mean necessarily that just because you're feeling those things, that that is the reality of what you're where you are, right? And it really just is this gray space of your decision. So, what are you going to do with? what you're feeling, what are you gonna do with where you are now? What is the next step from this? That is kind of where I think the power comes from is not necessarily just, you know, those. And I know we're we're in this whole thing, especially post COVID, we're in the moment. I wanna be in the moment, I wanna be present. Absolutely. And also recognizing that what you're feeling in this moment can be so very different from what you're feeling in an hour, and mm-hmm. especially in a week. Oh my God. Oh like, yes. You know what I mean? So just like all the so social media, you're on social media one day, you can feel absolutely amazing. And the next day, maybe you don't feel so great. And you don't know what happened. Maybe it's a friend from school who you felt like you guys were at the same level at some point, and they do something that's super crazy. Then you're like, I haven't done something like that. Maybe it ruined your entire day. And you mm-hmm. just feel shitty. <laughs> you know, you just feel crappy the rest of the day. But then I want you to like, take a moment and check in and be like, All right why why am okay i do feel this way why Mm. and like move from there so there's just a lot that was a lot within that but the biggest thing i i just again want to like emphasize is just always ask yourself why and feel your feelings always Mm. feel your feelings but move forward with knowing that things will shift and expand and grow and move and change every Mm. second of every day so
1: yeah absolutely i love that and and like taking it back to something you said previously was, you know, knowing your self-worth and where that comes from. It's something that I've had to adjust to, to be honest, as somebody that creates social media and has be that has become part of my life. You know, I, there was a point <clears throat> in, in this whole thing where some of my videos weren't doing well and I was feeling bad about it. And I had to do that thing that you just talked about was, okay, well, why am I feeling this way? Uh, is my overall digital footprint, you know, still okay. Yeah, it is. And so, going back to what I said earlier about mirrors and like seeking where you find validation, because here's what happens. You'll put something out there that you're really proud of. And then some random user five, six, eight, one, two, five, you know, will just say some BS on your, on your comment section and it'll ruin your entire day. Well, why, you know, is that, do you feel like that person is right? Uh, and so now I just take those comments in stride. And usually I laugh at them um, because it's like, they're, they're making so many assumptions in that one comment. And so you just have to take a step back and realize, you know, what the actual reality is, um, and, and find out where you find validation, you know, and is your self-worth tied to your likes and views and comments? Cause mine is not, uh, in fact, this is, this is a funny story. Like when I was having this social media boom in the, in the spring, um, I was hitting, you know, there's, there's a metric on Instagram for creators that tells you how many accounts you've reached in the past 30 days. At one point, I hit a million. You know, there was a million accounts that I hit in the last 30 days. And that was like, I was riding a big high right there. You know, I was like, this is awesome. My content's doing really great. In the summer, I'm not conducting bands. I'm not doing anything. I'm just, I'm just being Mike in the summer. And so I wasn't creating a whole lot of videos. I lost a lot of traction. And so that one million dipped all the way down to like 50,000. Um, and I, there was a point in the summer where I was like, man, was it was it just like a five minutes of fame kind of thing, or was it you know what was happening there? And you know I just kind of had to get that out of my way, you know, and just continue to create the content that I wanted to create. And it's mm-hmm. it's come back, you know, it's it, we're we're back to like eight hundred thousand accounts reached in the last thirty days or whatever. And that's I feel better now, even though you know I told you that I wouldn't want to put my self worth in there, but I know now that it's like, these things just happen, you know, pendulum style and it's okay, you know, and I can't, I can't associate all of my self-worth to the content create I create because then I'm just living, you know, on a screen Mm -hmm. and I can't, I don't have an identity outside of that. And I can't force myself to do that.
0: Well, Mike, it has been a pleasure. Um, having you on and discussing, you know, your backstory, because again, with social media, I think people see the, the, the social media influencer, but behind Mm -hmm. that influencer is a person. And so thank you for allowing, you know, who you are as Mike to be showcased here. Um, But before we go for like 50 seconds, you, you, First of all, as all of our audience know, we're presenting at Midwest, but so is Mike, along with some of our friends uh, close to relative pitch. We had uh, Janet Song Kim on a couple of weeks ago to discuss about something that I think is so valuable within um, music. Can you give us like a 30 to 50 second like pitch of what yeah. y'all will be talking about?
1: Pitch, I like that, relative pitch. Okay, okay. that's great. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah we're going to talk about uh, basically Picking quality repertoire, I think there's a lot of buzz out there on, you know, um, you, we have to pick repertoire by diverse composers in this. And there's like statistics and posts and all, all this like hubbub on social media about, you know, we need to change the canon. And I think I think that is important. That's that's super important. But I also think it's it's important to realize, like, what quality means to you. And it's not just like what is inherent quality, but like how you determine as a person, how you determine quality. What do you like about the music? How do you, you know, I guess, parse out the music that is just convenient to get? You know, I liken it to, you know, that McDonald's is right there. I could get food right there, or I can curate this to where I'm putting quality food, you know, regularly in my diet. And it's okay to have some junk food every now and again, but also I want my diet to be you know, mostly quality. So that's, that's how I liken it. And actually my segment is about that, about your musical diet, uh, in that panel discussion. So check us out. I think it's Thursday at 10, 11, one of those it's on Thursday. So just check out the program.
0: Perfect. Well, Mike, again, it has been a complete pleasure having you on. And just know that you are now part of the Relative Pitch crew, and we are part of your village now as well. Um, And just thank you so much for for being here with us.
1: Great. Thanks, y'all. All All right.
0: For our audience, thank you so much for a wonderful first part of the season. Um, Since this is the last episode this year, please go back and watch all the other episodes. They've all been great. Um, And please follow. We will have all of Mike's information down below. So go follow him, become part of his community um, and continue um, listening and enjoying our episodes. We'll see you next time. See ya.